two artists walk into a bar. Now stop me if you've heard this one. Listen in as artists and creators talk over drinks about their work, life, and the creative journey. to episode number 12 of Two Artists Walk Into a Bar. I'm your host artist, Carol McQuaid. Our guest artist today is visual artist and instructor Lori Goldberg. Her big, gorgeous canvases hang in galleries and collections worldwide. She's been a Canada Council grant recipient and has painted over 100 commissions for InterWest Resorts. Our bar is a painting table and a couple of chairs in her garden studio. It was just too beautiful to leave. You'll find links to all these things along with full show notes on our website, twoartistswalkintoabar.com. If you like it and want to hear more episodes, subscribe, sign up for updates, and share it with an arty friend. And if you love the show, head to the website where you can click on the martini glass icon and buy us our next round. These donations actually offset the cost of production, helping to keep us ad-free. And some days... They're just drinks. Now let's head to Lori's Garden Hideaway and listen in as we talk about studios, commission work, residencies, and, spoiler alert, where all those socks go when they leave the dryer. Cheers. So here we are, Lori Goldberg. Thanks for sitting down and chatting with me. I was early in the morning. I don't know what I was thinking, but what the heck. <laughs> great way of starting the day. It is a great way. It's never too early to sit down and have a glass and chat about art. Especially when it's all about me. <laughs> Joke. Okay. Speaking of you. <laughs> so we're here in your amazing studio, surrounded by all of this artwork. The setting is part of what stopped us from going to a bar today. You're in this magical garden in the middle of the city, and it's beautiful. Tell me how you came to be working in this space. Well, it's a long, twisted road. <laughs> well, as we all know, in Vancouver, it's really hard to find studio spaces. And over the years of making art, I've uh, been very fortunate to get some of the most amazing real estate. Mm-hmm. Of course, they're all illegal. <laughs> and I eventually always got kicked out. But, you know, I had a place on Gravel Island before it became Gravel Island. Oh, that's dating me. But whatever it is, it was an amazing place. You know where the brewery is? Yeah. You know, well, that was my studio space. I had, oh. a, And I used to work as a bartender at Bridges. Mm-hmm. And the Bay of Pigs over at Granville Island, that was also a place where I used to hang my work on the walls and work, you know, people would come in. I mean, it'd be piles of people, lineups, you know, to get in there and the art would always sell, you know. I, I was just, in those lineups. I there, remember this. All right. <laughs> also <laughs> dating myself. <laughs> it was an awesome time. It was. I used, I was a bartender and I used the space there to promote my work and it was a great setup. I didn't live there, but I had a studio there. And then it became, you know, Granville Island. I got kicked out. Uh-huh. They said, oh, this is going to be a place for artists to be in. So they kicked me out. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and then and the owner said, we don't want you to be thrown out on the street. So um, we have a space down in Yaletown. Yeah. Would you like to check it out? Well, it turned out to be, if you know, the Cross Interior Designers. Yes, well, totally, yeah. that was the building. It's a beautiful... What was that? That's my computer talking. Oh, hello, computer. Welcome to the combo. I have time management issues. It reminds me where I'm, you know, where I'm at. Time and place. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, so Lori. So the cross. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I had 10,000 square feet. Uh Uh-huh a free studio space for quite a while. And and the exchange was that I'd take my artwork down occasionally and show the office people there. It was a paper, it was called Lecky Paper. So what year would that have been about? Oh, that was in the 80s. Because my first studio ever, when I got out of design school, was the space that is now the Yaletown Brewing Company. I was in there with uh, 
couple oh. of painters, Gideon Flitt oh. and Dennis King and oh. Shannon Belkin wow, and yes, were the yes, painters. Yeah, yeah. And I was just at a design school, yeah. so I had a design office set up in the front. Yeah. And the deal was you can stay here super cheap until we're ready to build yeah. the brew pub. Yeah. <laughs> so we were in the same neighborhood yeah, yeah. probably at the yeah. same time. Oh, wow. Well, that's awesome. And that's really the kind of the plight of the artist. You know, we mm-hmm. find the best real estate and then the developers come and make it into some funky, cool yeah. place where, you know people that want to get already go to yeah the artists have left yeah but that's okay you know we left our energy and kind of our memories and it was an amazing place I got written up for my parties yeah <laughs> some, I think it was before the raves in the art magazines not about my art but about my parties yeah. <laughs> I thought that was interesting yeah those are the days and then I ended up uh, in a studio down on Powell Street mm-hmm. another amazing space where it was 1500 square feet for living and then 1500 square feet for studio space with skylights so then you can get up onto the roof and you got the view of North Shore and it was really inexpensive and I had my first big exhibition there it was an exhibition called Out of the Blue mm-hmm. I know you asked me the question about how I got to my studio here it's all good okay <laughs> <laughs> I told you it's a twisted run it was an amazing time of a lot of really strong work and kind of like a pivotal time in my art kind of world you know a lot of recognition and lots of write-ups with the work I was painting nonstop and just showing wherever I could and the up-and-coming new artist young artist you know painter and and I remember my two roommates were more in the business world and they were writing business plans to get some funding for their projects and I thought what well, can I do that you know and I and I got dragged to a woman's networking event and I had a couple cards with me and that's it yeah. and we all had like a couple of minutes to stand up and talk about who we were oh, I'm Laurie I'm the artist you know and Here's a couple cards, you know, whatever. Anyways, I had this businesswoman contact me and wanted to come and see my work. And one thing led to another. I said, hey, I'm looking for a sponsorship for an exhibition. I want to turn my studio feet into a, a studio, a gallery and have a show. Would you be interested in, in funding it? She says, well, okay. <laughs> I don't know how it happened. Wow. And those, it was like $10,000 yeah. that she invested in. And I had like quite an amazing show. I kind of envisioned what it would be like to have a show in New York. So I had a marquee that said Art of the Blue that hung up on top of the roof. I had, you know, a lineup of people outside for my opening. I had I had hired all my artist friends, a couple of my artist friends to come and help build walls. Yeah. And I had appetizers being served and wine being served. And I had a doorman and I had expensive cars lined up. I mean, that's what I thought yeah. an art exhibition was. <laughs> but it was pa- it was fun. Jack yeah. Shabal came, you know, like, you know, oh, it was wow. an amazing event. I had write-ups about it, and I had artists wondering why, Lori, does she get money and not us, you know, because the Canada Council grants were kind of drying up and stuff like that. And I said, well, call me, and I'll tell you how I did it. Yeah. You know, it was about stepping outside of the norm of, you know, what we usually think of what we need to do as artists in order to move forward with the granting system, Yeah. you know, getting a gallery or whatever. And it's like a path that I've followed a lot in my life, and it seems to seem to show up all the time. And that is, I find opportunities kind of in in unusual places. Mm-hmm. I keep open to that, and interesting things happen because of it. So that was one of them. Yeah, I sold one piece. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but you know the best part about the whole thing is this woman worked for um, I think a parking lot company, and she was wearing you know three piece suit and the pumps and. The next time I saw her, late years later, she was wearing jeans and moccasins and her hair was all down. And I said, wow, what's happened to you? And she says, well, I kind of found my 116th of my First Nation and I've now left my corporate job and I'm working in a, 
in a bookstore, you know, really kind of searching myself out. And it's really because of you. You kind of opened the door for me. Wow. So those are the gifts that happened to me is that exchange, that interaction between people and what it blooms out of that. So art for me is not just the art that's on the walls, but the art of living, the experiences that you have in life. Uh, that to me is just as rich and as important as my practice in my studio. Yeah, well said. Holy smokes, that is exactly what it's all about. What ends up on the canvas or the paper is almost a a lucky byproduct, you know? Well, it's all part of the process of mm-hmm. walking through that door and just being present and seeing what happens, you know, Yeah. when you're open. Not always. Yeah. <laughs> Trust me. <on> yeah. <laughs> Anyways, eventually I met this, this, I got, you know, I met a boy mm-hmm. and got engaged and we wanted to leave that environment and get a real grown-up house Mm -hmm. and so kind of moved out and we bought this this house yeah in um, I think the early 90s and I'm really glad that I'm still here I'm I mean the marriage didn't last but the house is still with me and I had two wonderful children more to that story but you know Mm -hmm. and because I became a single mom I thought actually I got my first Canada Council grant Mm -hmm. to do this work called personal sacred objects that was a series that were really that still kind of is a path of mine but it's a direction of my work that I'm still pursuing it's just in different ways it's about objects that have been imbued with meaning though they could be just ordinary things that you would pass by not have even seen it but someone else might have had an experience become something meaningful to them and that's what I was interested in doing is exploring that so I got a grant to pursue that. But mm-hmm. I had already done all the work. Yeah. <laughs> so I put some of the money towards, you know, building the space and getting in here to continue with the work. And so that turned my garage into a studio space. And I haven't looked back. And I also have this amazing space at 1000 Parker that I have access to whenever I need it. That has been an amazing boon for me. Too. Yeah. It's and I get this community that's amazing there. And I've been there for like 20 odd years. Who knows? So you have gone the Canada Council grant and you've gone the, I'm going to figure this out and create my own grant, if you will, by getting somebody to sponsor your show. With those two different takes on it, what was what had more flow? What worked for you? What do you recommend? Uh, well, I think that... Um, go for them all. Yeah. <laughs> Don't close any door, because yeah. you just never know when it's going to happen, when it's your turn. What was the Canada Council grant experience like for you? It was really hard because uh, I'm not a writer, mm-hmm. so to write language that was necessary, because I do believe there is a language, and also to present yourself in a very linear fashion, like, you know, just how you present your work, you have to do all, everything has to be dotted and crossed with the T's and the I's, whatever, and for me, that's a challenge, but, you know, I think that with perseverance, and I had no problem looking for other people that have skills in that area to support me, mm-hmm. I just see it as another opportunity for you to really sit down and think about your work and to I guess that's where artist statements come in too that one of the most valuable things about artist statements statements is that it really kind of gives you some clarity about your own work yeah so I think writing a grant gives you clarity if anything and then at the end if you get the grant great if not at least you have an understanding about where you're going what you might want to do you probably do the work anyways yeah yeah it's like applying for shows or applying for residencies or any of those things it really makes you think about what you're doing and what the parameters around your work are, mm-hmm. what the story is, and mm-hmm. yeah, it kind of hones your mm-hmm. hones your ideas. Mm-hmm. So you bought this house, you got the Canada Council grant, I had my you, first baby, yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, and that was also an interesting decision 
it's not easy as an artist. I mean, when I was younger, children were everything. I was like the babysitter in the neighborhood. I was working in, you know, uh, community centers. Uh, children were like part of my life. I saved things for babies, you know, in a box my mother threw away. Yes. Yeah. Little overalls. I thought they were so cute. Uh, you know, and when I went to art school here at Langara College, and then I went to Ontario College of Art, mm-hmm. most of the instructors were male, so that's fine, you know, and I was a really good student, you know, I worked really hard, but I also got a lot of scholarships and mm-hmm. bursaries because of my, you know, awards, I guess, that's what I'm saying. I yeah. can't even give myself that credit that I won a whole bunch of awards, huh? Yeah. And I remember one um, instructor saying, who was also an artist, you know, if you want to be, you know, you're really talented, you're really great, but if you want to really be famous and, and get somewhere, you're going to have to not get married, have children, and forget about the white picket fence in the house. I went, okay. Yeah. Because, you know, I really know that this is my passion and this is what's important and I'm going to have to follow. Okay, I'll let go of all that. Yeah. Then, of course, you hit 30. Mm-hmm. And so my question to myself was, at the end of my life, looking back, am I going to be happy with, you know, being this creative person and making a lot of art and having that life or, you know, without children, or am I going to be unhappy about that? And the latter was definitely, it was really clear to me at the end of my life, I'd be extremely unhappy if I didn't have family because family was everything to me. Yeah. Did you come from a big, close family? I came from a big, close family, five children. Yeah, me too. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Where are you in the family? Baby. Oh, you. Which is why I had never touched a child until I had one. (laughs) I'm like, oh, that's what babies are. Okay, I really like this. (laughs) Yeah, I'm the middle child. I was forgotten. But yeah, it's okay. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And siblings, what, uh, girls, boys? All boys. Oh, and you're the only girl? I'm the only girl, and now I have a son and two stepsons. Oh, my God. And a husband and a male dog, so oh. I'm really happy to sit down with you. <laughs> well, can I tell you something? Four girls and one boy <gasps> in our family, uh, and I had two boys wow. and a daughter. But yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Can you believe that? Yeah. Yeah. And where did you grow up? I know I'm getting off yeah, topic Yeah, I grew here, up but... in Vancouver, uh, West Side, you know, Caresdale, Oak Ridge, and... My um, parents were born here, yeah. so there's two generations, and their parents came from Russia, Poland, and they were immigrants and ended up in Strathcona. By the way, my mother's house still stands to this day. It's on Princess Street. Oh, wow. And my father's house still stands, and that's by Joe's Bar on, um, what street it is, Napier or... William Street. Oh, cool. So wow. that's pretty unusual. Yeah. So you're yeah. Vancouver through and through. <laughs> I am. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because I, when I was back east, I loved being back east in many ways. Mm-hmm. And especially the access to New York and that big city and energy. And I just found that, you know, it was so great for my production and just yeah. uh, motivation and stuff. But I really, there was a calling for me to come back. There was something that was missing. Of course, yeah. it was a lot of concrete. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. I didn't realize how the green space here has affected me. Actually, I hated the color green for a long time. Yeah. And I was listening to CBC uh, late one night when I was at the school working, and uh, this voice came on the radio and was talking about this amazing place. And it just seemed so like, oh, where is that place? It was like a siren. Someone was like, it was like drawing me there. Yeah. Well, it turned out to be Jack Shabalt talking about Hornby Island. Oh, wow. And I thought, that's where I need to be. Yeah, getting called home. And so, you know, it turned out that I had, um, I got sick and I couldn't really continue school. And so I came back and set up a studio here and kind of never went, never looked back. You know, Vancouver and Hornby Island. As a matter of fact, 
had my honeymoon there and you know we had dreams of having a place there but it never really came about but I was really into mountain bike riding with my ex he was an athlete in mountain bike riding and mountain he used to build mountain bikes and mm -hmm. so that was my world outside of my art world it was a very interesting combination and uh, it was amazing experiences getting into the woods and, and riding so he rode all the way through Hornby Alley and like all the parts that most people don't go into and so I knew it inside out mm -hmm. and uh, years passed and anyways I I never went back after yeah. the, the divorce and um, last year I went back. Ah. A friend was going there. I said, can I come? And I went back and I made peace with the place. Mm -hmm. And I met this wonderful woman by the name of Diane Smith who has this lovely yoga studio called Sundor. And somehow we just clicked. And now we're created a yoga, art, art yoga um, workshop that we're putting on this summer. So oh. I'm coming back again. Oh, great. And it's like I've reclaimed it on my terms full circle yeah 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 and so i'm super excited about going back it's the most beautiful space you can ever imagine to do oh. any kind of creative work in and diane is just she's been doing yoga for 40 years lived in india for most of the time and oh yeah i just couldn't be so lucky nice. luckier than have someone like that in my life right now to do something creative together yeah yeah so back to that point yeah. where you're you said you were about 30 and you had been told by this art instructor kids and family or famous art career and you're making that decision so I made that decision and so I started a family yeah and uh I I just loved that experience mm -hmm. of uh, being pregnant and going through that whole process like it was really really important to me I knew I was going to be an artist when I was about 10 years old and it wasn't really about what I was going to do it was more of a state of being yeah so you know, just having that pregnancy and the birthing and all that, to me, it was a creative process, uh -huh. too. It's all part of it all. It enriched me. It became, you know, it's part of who I am today. It's how it, it influences my art making. It's all part of the process. But it was still, in the art world, I felt, I did get pulled away from it. I had to step away on some levels and, you know, kind of shift my, you know, I kept on doing my art. Mm -hmm. everything was fine you know it just kind of went in a different direction uh but still you know working with you know some distractions yeah but it was still working fine until I became a single mom and then things started to change yeah that is a it's a game changer been there <laughs> and then what did you do how did you handle that shift oh I just thought no one's going to knock me down I'm going to continue doing my art it's just going to have to look a different way yeah and so I started thinking about okay uh, my direction was more museums and public galleries and mm -hmm. artist run spaces and commercial galleries but now it's more about the, not the gallerist but the dealer and just trying to get the work out there and get it sold and yeah. what are my other opportunities so I became more like an entrepreneur yeah more business uh, more about you know just really making a living and I also thought what are my skills mm -hmm. oh my god what are my skills I'm an artist I don't have I have no working skills out there <laughs> okay a bartender I'm not going to go back to bartending because yeah. I don't really want yeah feeding people yeah too much alcohol and yeah some of those people you know I was feeding something and I didn't like that but I also I passed I'm on to yeah. some other things so I thought about my teaching and I've always taught mm -hmm. I didn't have a teaching degree but I had history here in Vancouver and mm -hmm. matter of fact I was the I brought Carfax back into British Columbia oh, okay. that was another aspect of what interests me after that show at at my studio mm -hmm. out of the blue and I had these artists who were felt, I just felt they were so half empty, you know, and kind of victimed yeah. kind of mentality. And I thought, you know, I'm, I'm finished with, with this attitude and I want to do something that's going to make a difference. And I was approached 
mm-hmm. by um, an artist in Toronto by the name of Diane Pugin and asked if I would bring back Carfact. So for our listeners, what? So Canadian Artist Representation is an organization that is um, for artists that's Canadian-wide, and it's basically to support the artists in copyright and in other areas for creating fees for them when they show their work in galleries like public art galleries or artist-run galleries. They have great standard rate kind of information too when people are thinking like I'm going to paint a mural or I'm going to do this thing for X, no idea what to charge. Is that all that information? If you want to get your work across the border, how do you do it? They have tax, you know, they have that information about border information. Um, They're a a resource. Yeah. And it also brings people together. We're isolated workers, most of us, and it's a voice to bring (laughs) us together. And so each, each province has their own representative and um, it's all volunteer they also lobby for artists with the government and when you're a member you support other artists too and you do get a photography um fee uh you know you get a kind of like a gift at the end of the year so all the printing and anything that's being reproduced the money goes into a pool and then it gets divided up and people get a certain money and you send in information yeah my work was published in this magazine and so you'll get a a feedback so it's a way of bringing a bit of income into and recognition that it's a national wide thing I felt really that connected me to the rest of Canada yeah I felt so you know there was this isolation of the British Columbia it was more down the coast to California but not across Canada right. and that brought a connection that I I never had before it was really pretty profound and I'm, what's so great is that it still exists and mm-hmm. I passed on the the baton yeah. to other hardworking artists who are willing to give up their time to do something that's meaningful yeah. and purposeful. And yeah, I feel really grateful for that experience and for the people I met mm-hmm. and also to see that I made some change in people's lives. Yeah. Right. Including myself. I just got a car factory oh, for a go. show that I was part of, um, up at, uh, two rivers gallery. Oh, okay. Yeah. And what was your show in two rivers? It was a group show mm-hmm. called fences. Mm-hmm. So I had three paintings Oh yeah. So I saw this on your website and I was curious, having just come from this big um, mural painting project and working with scaffolding, Uh this is not real. Yes. Like tell me about this piece. Well, um, I have been kind of exploring uh, the kind of common combining the urban with the, with nature Mm -hmm. of like where we live, right? Our, um, environment you know as I said I lived in a lot of industrial areas at the time you know I still love riding my bike through them and I'm very interested in the the underbelly of the city Mm -hmm. of what goes on around us that we are not really aware of where it's there but we don't pay attention to it much like that's kind of been a theme of mine for many years but now it's moved into this idea of the uh, industrial environment and what goes on there and so the, the city and, and and also what's going on with the, how the city is kind of uh, rebuilding itself. You know, we knock down old buildings and then rebuild and there's scaffolding, you know, and cranes everywhere. And I love the, actually the cranes and I love the scaffolding. To me, it's like this kind of poetry that's happening around our, our, mm-hmm. our city. And so I love documenting with my camera as I ride my bike around and... And then I love being in nature. Uh, the forest, you know, is what, 10 minutes away? Mm-hmm. And just getting into those, you know, the giants, those trees, there's just something that kind of overcomes me. And I become this kind of this state of being that 
just a fairly expansive and open and also there's a little fear in there too of course but yeah. there's that sense because you never know you can go for a walk and never come back yeah uh, it's not like in Europe where you just go through a walk in trees and on the other side is another yeah hamlet right what I'm doing is I'm I'm bringing the idea is exploring the idea of the of um say interfacing but bringing the two elements together the industrial world and then the forest and seeing what happens and the scaffolding just came to me and I just love the idea that it could represent a place of protection Mm -hmm. of the trees or a place of like rebuilding renurturing there's an environmental issues that we're dealing with right now and so it's this whole idea of like what's happening to our planet so this this whole thing of I mean, there's so many different layers that could be read into it. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm actually thinking about that that much. I'm thinking more about the painting experience. Yeah. So, you know, with the trees, I'm really working with this kind of a more organic, personal, emotional state where the brush marks are all, all really expressive. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a life force that goes with that. And then I go into the scaffolding, which is a very methodical, lot of... Uh, time and effort to put the masking tape down Mm -hmm. and there's a whole series of steps that you have to go through in order to just get this one line and I'm building them straight and then you know I'm creating this kind of grid over on top of it and it's a totally different state of being yeah it is an interplay between that loose thing that artists are always seeking and absolute precision even though my work in my earlier work was these big kind of colorful abstract expressionist work mm-hmm. I've always set up some sort of structure within it yeah. and if you look at nature there's always structure and there's always chaos and there's always happen chance and you know circumstance that happens that just is random right so I love kind of I'm just basically mimicking Mm-hmm. what nature is, is happening and when I think about the grid or you think about the scaffolding what is it it's metal where did it come from it came from the earth but what did we do we mined it mm-hmm. and then out of creativity ideas we were able to forge it into something that was utilitarian and it became something you know and then you know it then eventually when it's finished it goes back into the scrap pile mm-hmm. and what happens there who knows it either gets well it gets recycled into something else. So to me, it's there's something fascinating about this whole thing about the man-made and then naturally occurring things mm-hmm. like trees. Yeah. So when I look at this, this interplay between organic and structure, I it also makes me think of your series with the canoes mm-hmm. in a very diffused and... Um, sort of almost a halcyon type of environment are they related to you tell me about your canoe series I'm the type of artist that actually comes up with ideas and then I paint about them I don't actually have one continuous image Mm -hmm. that or an idea that um, I repeat over and over again in different ways I mean I I just different I use different subject matters and so the canoe came about because of I did quite a lot of traveling lately and every time I'd go away I'd come back and say God, I'm so lucky to live in a place like Canada. I can drink the water out of a tap. I can breathe the air without feeling sick. You know, it's just I have space around me. It's like I'm so grateful. Mm-hmm. And I had an exhibition, a solo show coming up in February of last year, and I wanted to paint about something that was about Canada. I didn't know what it was until, you know, kind of a lot of things came up at the same time. And I realized, well, objects have always been interested to me. And I was thinking about the canoe. And I was thinking of, oh, someone had said once to me, you know, uh, a beautiful line by Pierre Burton. 
it was a quote and he said you know a true Canadian is someone who can make love in a canoe without tipping it and I just loved it so much I go I want to make a, I want to make an exhibition about that I just want to make paintings about canoes and yeah. I just want to make love through the painting process you know mm-hmm. and just you know because it's a beautiful shape yeah it's a vessel that has you know symbol for Canada mm-hmm. Canada was built it wouldn't be where it is you know it was a canoe that yeah. basically created Canada. And it's like Tom Thompson. Tom, and, oh, it's yeah, so, it's it's so very... historical, you know, and you got the First Nation thing, though I wasn't interested in the, politi- you know, the politics of it all, you know, but it's, it has a utilitarian part, but it also has a very romantic side to it. And it's also a very, I think, a feminine shape, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a vessel. Mm-hmm. And the vessel to me on a spiritual level, like if you want to go to that path, you know, that level is like, what is it? You know, like it's a is it empty or is it full mm-hmm. you know and so I wanted to put the object into an environment and yeah. have it there so that the viewer could be the one that would kind of see themselves and put themselves into that vessel instead mm-hmm. of putting someone in it and then I would put someone in it too because I wanted that journey I wanted to just see what would happen it's not about you know I just wanted yeah person in there too and then I put two people in yeah yeah. (laughs) you know and then I put them on different surfaces and it was just you know again it's all about permutations and variations of a theme but it's Mm -hmm. just all about that shape in that canoe and that meaning of being you know quintessential Canadian yeah this is fun as we are talking there is a big beautiful red canoe right behind your head (laughs) it's called the spirit canoe it's gorgeous so for a listener who happens to be near a keyboard right at this second where would they go to look at your work while we're talking they can go to my website Mm mm-hmm www.lauriegoldberg.ca and that'll uh, be in the show notes too but okay uh, yeah for those who are listening yeah. while they're and they go yeah. to a south main gallery and they can look up my name and check my work out there yeah uh, that's such a great gallery yeah i love that yeah. gallery yeah, yeah dawn's cool. wonderful and yeah. it's a great group of uh, artists in his stable and yeah uh, he's just doing some great things and so when you put together this show last year with the mm-hmm. canoe paintings was it for South Maine or what was it for? yes it was for it South was. Maine it was actually my first solo show I've had in a long time mm-hmm. you know based because of my lifestyle choices of having children um my focus was I couldn't really get enough work together for big shows so I focused on other exhibition opportunities group shows and then my teaching and you know expanded that and plus I had other projects I was working on to bring income in that it was all art related mm-hmm. that a lot of artists don't like to talk about but I don't mind talking about the fact I that I had that stuff so <laughs> uh just to segue into that area yeah. in order to make a living you know you got to think about where's your streams of income I uh was approached to do some work for printing companies that create art. They reproduce art and then they bring them into big box stores. Oh, okay. Oh, well. So anyways, I started doing some work for them. It was received quite well with the work, but I didn't, what I chose to do is that I would do this work under condition that I never use my name. Oh, okay. So I use plum, uh, nom de plumes or, you know, like, so I came up with some really fun names. And are you going to tell us what they are? Cy yeah. Jones, based on my children's names. Oh, uh, Rebecca Myers, based on my parents' names. Uh-huh. Oh, awesome. <laughs> um, some uh, Gabriel Parks, that was an old name of mine that I used a long time ago. It was so much yeah. fun to come up with names. Yeah. That you can be whoever you want. It's and like writing Harlequin work. romance. Yes, when that's you're exactly what total, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Except that, you know, there's integrity in the work, I have mm-hmm. to say. If there's, if there's going to be reproduced work out there, where it's affordable for people who are just starting out maybe collecting or they want some beautiful things around them they can go to winners or uh, uh, big uh, what is it uh, home sense or whatever and they can come in and see a Rebecca Myers or a Cy Jones and purchase that over someone else right yeah yeah. 
And then what happens is that monthly or every couple of months, I would get a, a, a royalty in, mm-hmm. in the uh, mail. Yeah. And that would be my, um, what would be called uh, uh, passive income. Yeah. And so that has helped me be able to stay in my studio to make my work that, you know, it's a little bit more, takes more, I mean, a lot more risk taking, a lot mm-hmm. more vulnerable work, a lot more interesting work that, you know, that has its place in different levels and, you know, other different audience would be interested in seeing and also for right. myself, you know, I have to do this work. Yeah. Know? I have walked through those stores that you mentioned and looked at that work and thought, like, where does this come from? Because they do do an amazing job of curating what they put in there. Like, it's you can see somebody, you know, needing to, I'm going to do this place or staging or anything mm-hmm. like that. And there's some really cool work in there. It's fun to know where it comes from. Well, the best part was one day I went with my sister to Winners, mm-hmm. and we're walking around looking for a lampshade or something, and all of a sudden I came across my work. Oh, wow. And I thought, this is so cool. <laughs> and so I had to tell the people that work there, oh, by the way. Yeah. I'll tell you someplace else. I don't else. have a problem with talking about that because yeah. I think that all artists have got to find other venues to make an income. And some yeah. will choose to be a bartender because they don't want to touch their, you know, yeah. the, this line they don't want to cross. But I remember growing up, I mean, it's growing up. I've been doing art since, you know. 18 so growing up is definitely a word that you could use but mm-hmm. it was so not okay to do stuff like that yeah and I wouldn't do it you know I, said, I can't cross that line you know that's like what's it called prostituting well now it's like you know I think that art it doesn't matter what form it is it's all going to affect someone somehow and that's important to me that yeah. The work gets out there, and if it's not going to be me, it's going to be someone else. So I might as well, and it has integrity, and you know, I send good yeah. stuff out there. The work is good. Yeah, just yeah. using my skills. You know, I'm an academically trained artist. I have a lot of skills. Yeah, through teaching, I've had to teach a whole bunch of. You know, I could do you know all the techniques and watercolor, oil, and acrylic, and yeah. I'm actually a certified golden art educator. Oh, okay, yeah. So you know, I went to their um, workshop and. New Orleans yeah had a blast but you know learned a lot and you know come back with all these props and yeah I'm now you know an expert in that field yeah they do an amazing job of putting the right products and information into artists hands and having resources and what's that experience been like being attached to Golden I think Golden is extremely generous Mm -hmm. I have um access to all their materials um do a workshop even when I teach at Emily Carr I get points Mm -hmm. and that goes towards art materials Mm -hmm. you know golden is one of the top paints out there and so i feel very fortunate to have access to that paint that i normally wouldn't be able to afford i still like stevenson and chroma you Mm -hmm. know for different reasons uh, but and i support my canadian paint companies for Mm -hmm. sure but you know the other is that i can share that knowledge with people because there's a lot of interesting techniques where people who are experimental and want to explore you know, the expansive possibilities with acrylic paint, I now have access to all that that I didn't know before because I wouldn't be really interested in that. But now I'm using some of those techniques in my work. Yeah. It's really kind of expanded my understanding. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about your teaching. You teach at Emily Carr. Yeah. And so places. I've been there for over 18 years. I took a year off when they moved from Granville Island to the Flats. Mm-hmm. I'm going back this summer. 
what I wanted to do was I wanted to, well, I got an opportunity to work in the continuing studies department. And I never really looked back because it suited me, my lifestyle perfectly. So I could work in the evenings or the weekends, get babysitters, and then I would, you know, have my days for my studios when the kids went to school. And uh, through that experience, I've taught and met over hundreds and hundreds of of people, all ages, Mm -hmm. all walks of life, all reasons, different reasons why they were there, but they're mature students, Mm -hmm. which meant that some of them became friends of mine, Mm -hmm. some of them became collectors of my work, some of them... Uh, have pursued their art and now are professional artists selling their art and I got to be the door that they opened and started their process as a creative being so I feel very and people that have illnesses that come there you know to just kind of get some creativity that they need in their lives that might help for healing I could be part of that too and so the teaching, you know, I have ability to teach the technical side. I can, as I, you know, all the technical, but there's also the other aspect, which is the more about the state of being, like why, you know, are you making the art? What, what is the, so it's about the creative process. And I'm more interested in the creative process than anything these days. I just really want people to open up themselves to that kind of creative expression that a lot of us uh, throughout life get, kind of knocked down Uh and closed up because it's just not really uh, thought of as an important aspect of learning and growing and in schools in particular Uh and so a lot of people reclaim them later on Uh and I get to be that part of that process to help them open up to themselves and uh, I just find that really satisfying. Can you give me an example of that happening? Sure yeah. So, you know, I'd set up an exam, you know, set up a project with my students and I'd go around and see what everyone's doing. And there was one woman there that, um, time I'd go by, she did something really interesting. Then I come back in, it's gone. Mm-hmm. Then I go back again and, you know, there's something there and I go around and it's gone. And she kept on doing this. And I said, wow, you have, you know, you have a, a really strong critic inside of you that's really kind of knocking, you know, closing you down. She says, what do you mean? I said, well, every time I come here, it's like you start something really great and it's like you just say, no. Mm-hmm. There's something in you that just, that's a part of you that just says it's not good enough. And you just cover over it. And, and you keep on doing this. And she said, wow, you know, I never thought about that, but you're right. I said, why don't you just kind of imagine like you got a hook outside and you can just kind of hang it there and just give yourself some permission to, you know, see this as like a space for just this next 20 minutes, half an hour where you can just say, you know, give me a little break. Mm-hmm. I can come and collect you when I leave, mm-hmm. but this is my time for me to explore. And I'd go back, and there she was kind of allowing this paint to just stay there now. The next week, she comes through the door, and she gives me this big hug, and she's, she's tears are coming down, and she says, I just want you to know, I went away, and I thought about what you said, and I've done a lot of work on myself, done the therapy. no one has ever <laughs> approached me and said to me, that I had a critic inside of me, but I have a huge one. You're right. It's so big. It just sabotages everything. I said, yeah. great, now go paint about it. Yeah. Just go paint your critic. I want to see what it looks like. Uh-huh. So she did this really kind of crazy, like expressive, really ugly thing, right? Uh-huh. Of course, it was just like tar, you know. And so we did a critique, a group t- critique of the work, and I put that up. And mm-hmm. we went to her and I said, so, you know, when it's her turn, I said, so can you tell me about this piece? She goes, yeah, it's my critic. And so that just kind of opened up the door for everyone else wow. to be able to talk about yeah. or to think about what it is that might hold them back in their own creative process, which we all have. And I have a big one, so I'm really mm-hmm. aware of it. Yeah. Yeah. There is that would a, be an example there. Yeah. Yeah. That is a strong, a strong is example. That, is yeah, that a good example? Totally. Yeah. Totally. 
So teaching at Emily Carr in an in a institute is really wonderful, and it's a structure, and it's there, and it's a beautiful community, and uh, I, I like being there. It's just it's a great place for anyone to go in through the doors. There's a lot of creativity happening. You just feel it. Yeah. Uh, but I also wanted to kind of come up with idea, other ideas of how I can bring in streams of, in, of um, income and also continue with my teaching outside of that. And I thought of, you know, I want to travel, you know, I don't, you know, but how can I afford it? You know, I thought, well, why don't I create um, workshops in other parts of the world and just bring people with me and they'll pay my way. That's yep. the way to do it. And so I made partnerships with someone in Italy. I made a partnership with someone in Bali. Mm-hmm. And then I realized I really wanted to stay in British Columbia and make partnerships around that. So I created what's called Beauty Spot Workshops. Oh, cool. Okay, great and title. So, <laughs> yeah. I thought, well, I want to be in beautiful spots. And so yeah. where are they? So uh, Italy. So I went to Italy. And in the group, there's one man there. He used to be a student of mine. I had no idea. But when we got home, he passed away two weeks later or a month later. It turned out that he he was at the end of his life. He had cancer. And he, that was one of his dreams is to go to Italy and do this art thing. So wow. that was huge. Yeah. And you had no idea when no, you were there. No, I knew something was up, but he wouldn't tell me. But it was fine. You know, yeah. like he got to experience that and I got to be part of that and it was beautiful I'm getting shivers just thinking about that experience yeah so that was pretty amazing yeah and is that something you've done repeatedly or was it a one-time Italy trip one time yeah and you've moved it around to different places and then I went to Bali and I had a group there that was amazing Mm -hmm. I've been to Bali a few times in the 80s and it was a very important time in my life it just opened my eyes to this world of um, animism and about life force. I mean, the Balinese believe that they're under divine obligation to make beautiful things and that there's no word in their language for art. They just are. And I thought, wow, these are my people, my community. Yeah. And I came home and started painting kind of in that state of mm-hmm. that this is this is alive, you know. Mm-hmm. Like my brushes are alive. My canvas is alive. My paint's alive, even if it's plastic, whatever. It's yeah. it's all has a life force and I'm painting with it and then we're all together and I'm going to see what emerges from it. Yeah. So, and what point of your body of work were you at when you did when you did that? What were the first paintings that came out after you had that? That was the Out of the Blue series and that was big abstract expressionist work. I'm assuming the work that I'm looking at in your studio covers a fairly broad range of time. Well, this is all last year mm-hmm. and this is all this year. This piece here was done a few years ago. Cuz your style evolves but it is always you you can see that it's it's the same hand but it's very varied the first place I became aware of your work before I knew who you were or had a name to attach I worked for Interwest for years as a sales and marketing director and yeah and your work shows up so tell me about your relationship with them hilarious okay that's one of those situations where that happened not through the art world but Mm -hmm. through being a parent yeah I was taking my my children to gymnastics. I mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, can't remember the name of it right now, but it was on 10th Avenue in Kits. Uh-huh. It's the place to be, you know, to do gym, you know, yeah. gymnastics. And there was this guy sitting next to me, you know, he had brought his daughter and we just started chatting. And my Cyrus, the younger one, was still crawling and he would crawl up all the girls, all the women there with their nylons. So he'd find <laughs> them to crawl up on us. <laughs> Certainly, you know, so we were commenting on that. And then one thing led to another and I was telling him I was an artist. And he said, well, I'm looking for artists to, for work for the Interwest mm-hmm. Resort in um, Isler. I said, well, come to my studio. Yeah. And he uh, saw my work and he told me the theme. And mm-hmm. one of the things that I learned about a skill that I think is really, that I didn't even realize how important it was, but it really is uh, an aspect of my creative process that 
has been a real boon for me. And that is I, I heard his story about what it is he wanted and I was able to create work that was really in, um, sync with what his vision was so when he yeah so when he saw my work he said yeah that's exactly what I want so he said I'm curious who it was you were talking with Bill Inman I knew it was Bill (laughs) totally oh right on yeah he um he did a ton of work with with the places I was but I went out and opened up Blue Mountain the club side of Interwest with them and he did all of that oh yeah he's got such a great eye he's fun to work with oh right on okay yeah saw him the other day actually just by chance oh cool he asked me to do something like 40 pieces and he thought I would do a print of it but I ended up wanting to do everyone by hand wow so I worked out a system and at that time I had a baby Cyrus was just a baby and he was in my papoose you know and so I painted with him inside my yeah um what they call the thing that's in like a snuggly a slug. Or oh yeah snuggly right yeah a sling that's sling, what they had the slings in those days yeah and i painted with him inside and i'd paint <laughs> by the way he's <laughs> in the art world now so i think that's interesting but and i called it cyrus's lagoon you know mm-hmm. i thought well title it after him yeah and what i did was i basically took a template of the drawing i did the drawing and i just repeated the drawing uh carbon paper so it's all the structure was there but i started in the spring and ended up in the fall and the colors changed uh, <laughs> and, the, yeah. and my style changed yeah and so i had a hoot doing that and then the mm-hmm. next thing i i found was that i was um invited to do the work for palm desert and that mm-hmm. was more of a, like a g clay and that was just coming out so i did that i have some originals but people were saying oh it was just like yeah having sitting on the couch and look over and there was your work you know it's yeah. kind of neat so that's there's something like 500 of them there yeah and then in Montreal, in, uh, in Quebec, yeah, yeah. the work there. And then yeah. he sent me to Kauai to do you know, research and do some work for uh, some partnership there. Yeah. And I did something like six pieces. And I really like those works too. And that was the end. That was, you know, it's all, it, it was a really interesting journey, you know, to yeah. to do all the work for Interwest and to listen to what the vision was and then to follow through with the work. And so... Commissions was something that I'm actually quite good at doing, and I find them quite interesting. It's just yeah. another process that gives me an opportunity to be creative. It just has its own parameters, and I find that interesting. I love doing them, too. It's fun yeah. to tailor, and I love parameters. I think that's a huge part of, you know, being an artist is so free. Mm-hmm. You wake up every day and decide what your job is, yeah. and yeah. that can be a little too broad <laughs> tell times. me about that yeah i know that very yeah. well i remember that time in my life where i woke up one morning and go oh my god i have so much freedom i can't handle it yeah and it's, it fascinates me the constructs we put around ourselves in order to work like how much do we need to construct in order to move forward and paint and yeah there's your scaffolding right in front of you it's exactly and we do and it's and everybody does it differently yeah and it's really cool seeing how you do it yeah. I got commissioned to do a five by nine foot canoe for uh, a loft in Seattle. So mm-hmm. that was a huge, com- you know, that yeah. was also a commission that was really interesting to do. And it's yeah. so beautiful there. So it's the largest canoe I ever painted. Probably yeah. the last I'll ever paint that big. But it, yeah, it you was, could almost get in and paddle. You can actually <laughs> get in that one and paddle. It's the same size, it's probably bigger than a, yeah, yeah it's a canoe you know it's funny I was up in uh, Wells which I will ask you about too <laughs> and uh, at the Tony only project mm-hmm. and we did a side trip one day one of the artists and I just went oh we got, you know got to get out of here and and just take a look around and experience some other things because you work so hard when you're in there at that project and we went up to a lake that is just like an hour drive from there and there was a red canoe and my friend was like 
That is so Lori Goldberg. Are you serious? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you now you've been involved in the Tony Only. Yes, Only I project yes. in Wells. Tell yes. us about that. I, didn't, I, I loved my experiences yes, there. Yes, me to too. Yours. And you know, and that uh, there's history there because I actually went up there and taught mm-hmm. really like a long, like in the '90s mm-hmm. with. Um, so just for our yeah. listeners, before you yeah. launch in, so so Wells. Wells is this tiny little town that is very uh, tiny, two kilometers or something from Barkerville, which mm-hmm. is a historic gold mining. It's basically a museum, mm-hmm. and every year they invite twenty artists from across country, and they put us up in either you camp or you. I usually camp, and. Uh, or stay in some local hotel or B&B. And then they open up the elementary school and make it all into studios. Mm-hmm. And everybody just works their butts off mm-hmm. for 10 days, and then we have a show. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's what right. it is. Now, go. <laughs> so I, um, I've taught up there. I've exhibited in their gallery. Mm-hmm. And they invited me to come up there, mm-hmm. and they gave me a scholarship to be part of the artist residency. So I yeah. definitely decided yeah. that I was going to go. And I actually brought my boys. We did a gold rush tour mm-hmm. all the way up there it was, and we went to a uh, ranch and I got them to learn about you know we stayed in the uh, the long ho- house or whatever where the workers there and and yeah. then they were in a camp and they did their work on videos and stuff they didn't uh, stop motion animation and they were having a hoot and I just worked my butt off yeah and I got a lot of great actually that was the beginning of some really interesting work that mm-hmm. that I would never have been able to do if I was at home mm-hmm and why is that? I don't think I would give myself the freedom because of the restrictions that I had around making a living for me and my kids. There are elements from the urban environment, mm-hmm. like streets and signs and, or, you know, abutments or something, and I would just abstract them and I'd just pour them and then I'd put them onto this kind of forest scene. Mm-hmm. And so I was just this really emotional, like, you know, that what it felt like when, you know, this passionate feeling that when you go into the forest, you just wake up. So that was what it was. And then there's kind of like, and then this fear thing. And then there's like, you know, but there's these, you know, the memories of the, of the city that you still have that are still kind of being peeled off. that are kind of layering, you know, that are kind of being letting go as you walk into the forest. So Mm -hmm. you're kind of, you know, letting go of your, your, urban environment and oh, going into this great place visual so, i'm yeah. picturing like chunks of sort of yeah uh, not not bark something less organic than bark falling off I'll show of you, it to you. you yeah, yeah later yeah. i'll show it to you yeah, yeah. no i was thinking about it. well i'll tell you about my project when i went there because it was uh i i went up thinking i was going to do a bunch of oil painting or acrylic paintings and I had all these canvases. I took my my Euro van, <laughs> loaded up with canvases, and and got up there. And I got into the in sitting down with the mentors and kind of going over what we're doing. And all of a sudden, that was not what I wanted to do. Like it just totally <laughs> Isn't that the wasn't. Way? So I ended up going out the first day and thinking I'll do some plein air sketching to kind of get myself like that's just my meditation. So I went to Pooley Street. And I sat in the middle of Pulley Street. So I um, I sat down and I thought, well, I'll do this sketch. And then later in the day, the light changed. I went down by the school and sat and did a sketch. And then I got up the next day and I still didn't feel like painting. So I went back to those places, turned my chair like 15 degrees, did another sketch. And I kept going back every day until I had these nine foot long panoramic sketches of the town with this big accordion thing that folds out super fun and then a few years later they invited me back 
And I said, well, if I come up, I'll make a print of it. And then I went, how are you going to make a nine foot long print? You know, you don't have nine feet long pieces of linoleum. So I ended up taking a big chunk of baseboard, like a seven inch high, nine foot long chunk of baseboard. And I sat. Where do you get a nine Wells foot Home in your Depot. car? Uh, it just fit. If it had been nine what foot kind of and one centimeter, it was a, an SUV. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, but if it hadn't, and it had a little bit of flexion. Right. So I literally had to flex the board, right. slam the back of the SUV yeah. as, as it pressed into the windshield. Right. And yeah, if it had been one, one inch longer, it wouldn't have gone in. And so I spent the ten, in 10 days, I carved the nine foot long scene and made a print. So I've got this nine foot long panoramic crazy. It's uh, Wells makes you do crazy things. <laughs> no, they're putting a call out again. And I, you know, I got rejected from two artist residencies that I really wanted to be part of just recently. And so yeah. thinking, well, maybe, you know, I should it's go back fun. there, you know, I'm trying to figure out I do like to get away from the city and do yeah. something, you know, it really is a good place. These camps for, artists you know yeah, and that's a great one yeah I love residencies I find them yeah, which ones totally... have you what have I done I did uh my that was the first one I did that's mm-hmm. where I learned about Carfac right. that's where I think okay. I first went because they invited me as well right. so it was like a you know oh what's an art residency mm-hmm. got up there learned about them so I started applying the next one I did was in Assisi, Italy. Mm-hmm. Amazing. In a farmhouse in, mm-hmm. you know, the middle of nowhere. And since then, I've done one in Spain, just outside of Barcelona. Mm-hmm. One in Mexico. That kind of fell apart when I got there, but mm-hmm. I still was in Mexico for a month and just sat and painted every day. And then I did one in Tuscany this year and one in Sicily, where as part of a group, we all went down and did this mural project, 13 feet off the ground mural project. And I Mm. totally advocate them now to Mm -hmm. every artist I talk to, because you just get into this different environment, Mm -hmm. and uh, it just opens up new worlds. And when you said to me, I am interested how the podcast started, that's how it started. Because you sit in these places, and everybody's working, 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 and then you sit down, over a glass of wine and you start to talk and I am one of these artists that uh, external inspiration is huge you know and I don't know why I'm not getting into the ones I want maybe because they're the best ones out there and there's a lot of competition yeah but um the short-sightedness as far as I'm concerned yeah (laughs) and you just keep swinging that bat I know when um I went to a an artist talk one time and it was who's the guy he wrote some books uh they are in opus Mm -hmm. and who you're talking about yeah what is his name But spending time with his book, I found really interesting. It was artist mm-hmm. sur- or survival skills yeah. for artists mm-hmm. or something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, the first thing it says about residencies is uh, send out 10 applications. Mm-hmm. And as you get rejections, send another one. And then, mm-hmm. you know, eventually mm-hmm. it'll hit. It works. <laughs> well, one of my favorite ones I went to, and, you know, of course, a lot of them you have to pay. And that's okay, because, you know, on some levels, but some of them are a little bit outrageous, and some of them have scholarships, and you can apply for grants. And I did this for this one. I went to New York. I always wanted to work in New York, and so I finally got my dream come true. And last two years ago, I went there, and I did a project, a socially engaged project about lost socks on Governor's Island. Yeah, Yeah. it was a really empowering experience. It was intense. It was great. It was, I met so many people and I engaged so many people and I did something I always wanted to do. And it was, um, 
I just wanted to carry on, you know, I'm still thinking about what I can do with this project again, you know, how I can, um, so what just... did you do? Tell me about the project. Uh, I called it oneness uh-huh. <laughs> and it's about creating, creating connections mm-hmm. and celebrating difference mm-hmm. through lost socks. Mm-hmm. So lost socks are something that we all have stories about. We can't find that other sock. Where did it go? The laundry, the wash machine or the dryer ate it. Uh, so I've done work in the past with dryer lint. Mm-hmm. There's one right there on the wall. There's this family portrait. Oh, wow. Okay. So the history is that my first child had a heart defect and she died at 10 months. So what do you have left after someone that, you know, I mean, it was devastating. It changed my life forever on a really positive way, you know, two children later and death of my marriage but that was okay you know yeah. I carried on and created a community to help me raise my my two boys and the memory of my daughter is in my heart and in my garden and but what do you have left you have memories it was a short memory of 10 months but also you have objects and that was the beginning of my series of objects that are imbued with meaning mm-hmm. so I did a family portrait and instead of doing the traditional portrait of the faces I chose objects and then I thought what am I going to put the objects on and I thought why don't I use my own the, the lint from the clothing in my dryer in the dryer use the dryer lint yeah. to create as a surface and as a watercolorist you know you you buy these really expensive rag 100 percent rag paper what is it it's cloth right. and so i thought well you know i'll make my own paper yeah, <laughs> so i made brilliant. it out of our own family lint yeah and then i put these objects that represented them and so that was the beginning of doing a series about objects and using materials that would um, tell the story or narrate the story about those objects. And I went to a, a group of women artists and asked if they had objects in their studio that they would like to tell me about. That and everyone had one. Yeah. And everyone had its own story. And I would tape the story, and then I would make and I'd ask permission if I could do a painting about it and monumentalize it from my perspective. And they said absolutely. And I would do these really interesting pieces. They were interesting because I had to think about the materials mm-hmm. that related to the story. Yeah. And uh, that's where I got my ground. Yeah. Oh, That was really cool. And I never did show that work. I still have an opportunity to show it one day. And you have it all? (laughs) I still have some of them. Some of them I've sold in order to keep going. But uh, yeah, yeah. and uh, some of the techniques I've used, I'm still going to be, in my next show, I'm planning to see if I can make this happen, which Mm -hmm. is taking ordinary objects and making instant sculptures with them by dipping them in, you know, the... The baby shoes that are dipped in bronze, mm-hmm. you know, that's a coating. Well, you could do the same thing with objects. So I've done a series of those. I have Wonder Woman. I had a Wonder Woman doll that I found, and I dipped that in bronze and rocks and a yeah. uh, frog and yeah. and uh, a cloth bag. And so I, it's a really interesting way of creating sculpture mm-hmm. from ordinary objects and making it into something that maybe have some scarcity about it because they look like you know one of a kind beautiful objects yeah yeah interesting interplay between sort of mass produced and unique as well yes that's that's mm -hmm. the mass produced the unseen the everyday objects like a chair or whatever that you pass by you don't see until someone changes its location and Mm -hmm. you see things in a new with a new lens and then you recognize that it exists and yeah has meaning now yeah so you mentioned that when you were little you just always knew you were going to be an artist Mm -hmm. is this about what you 
would have foreseen? What have been the big surprises in your journey? Or is this about how you thought being an artist would would be? I don't believe making art is something you choose. I think it chooses you. And when I try to make it fit into anything, it doesn't work. That's where the struggle, the pain, the suffering, you know, depression, whatever, starts to kind of creep in. I've, I, and I have experienced it. I've experienced compromise and, and uh, mediation around my art practice. And so it, uh, it was romanticized when I was 10. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, as life has moved on, it has proven to be a, a journey for sure. And I would say that it has all aspects of, of humanity in it. Mm-hmm. Pain, suffering, light, joy. Mm-hmm. happiness uh, total connection to everything yeah to loss you know it's all yeah. part of it and as we walked in here you showed me the beautiful garden just outside mm-hmm. your studio that you that you planted for your daughter mm-hmm. would you say that there's a degree of um, self-administered art therapy in your work are you is it a healing process I think that it's like what I said is that it's all encompassing. So uh, if I do a painting and it's about loss, then maybe that might show up, but it's not intentional. Um, We've been talking about some very cool and heavy, interesting, wild things. The show is called Two Artists Walk Into a Bar. (laughs) Do you love it, by the way? I think it's awesome. (laughs) Do you have a punchline for me, a second half for the... Well, or, or a joke, or a joke, or a funny story from your art life. <laughs> I could tell a funny story. That's a well. Don't, I'm a terrible joke teller because I can never remember the punchline. So, um, but the only one I remember is what is a definition of the chip off the old block? Toothpick. <laughs> that's about as funny as I get. But the one that's really kind of sad, funny, that I think all artists would really never really want to happen, but it happens sometimes, is someone sent me a text or an email saying that they found a piece of my work in a garage sale and got it for like $2 or something, and she was so thrilled. And <laughs> she put it up on the wall, and she just said she was so happy to have it. And then a month later, I got another email from her saying, you know, I've been looking at your painting for a long time, and I got really inspired, so um, I painted over it. Oh! <gasps> what <laughs> that was her her inspiration she was so inspired that she painted over it wow and i thought wow well, how do i respond to that yeah. i don't yeah. respond at all with, with <laughs> i go well i'll delete her <laughs> but i was thinking well you know maybe she didn't really overpaint it maybe she just painted and left some of my painting underneath it but yeah. you know it is what it is but i just thought oh my god who wants that in, in yeah. an artist story about someone that's got so inspired they painted over your painting it's like really (laughs) thank you for sharing (laughs) well if I ever ended up with a Lori Goldberg (laughs) it would be sitting on my wall (laughs) untouched with a light on it because they're beautiful thank you very much (laughs) thanks for taking the time to talk with me and for bringing me into this amazing world that you have here it's just been a real pleasure being in your studio and being in your space so thanks oh yay I love you forever. Yay! (laughs) It's mutual. You've been listening to Two Artists Walk Into a Bar. I'm your host artist, Carol McQuaid. For full show notes and all the links, head to twoartistswalkintoabar.com. 
If you liked the episode, remember to subscribe, sign up for updates, and leave us a review. And if you loved the episode, head to twoartistswalkintoabar.com and buy us our next round. Cheers.